So we are recording. Did you listen to any of the other uh, past episodes uh, of this that I I've done? Not. I just wanted to keep it completely uh, spontaneous. You want, you want to keep it, yes, genuine, just kind of go off the cuff here, so that's fine. Um, you are, the only agenda here is there is no agenda. I mean, I eventually, I definitely want to pick your brain on your uh, tree business and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, but where or where we go from here, I don't know. Do you need to be done by a certain time? I don't. You don't? I had Perfect. a uh, tree bid I had to submit by noon today, which is in three minutes. So I ran off and did that, and the rest of my day is with us. Nice. Now, is this the bid that you were uh, referring to about, this was like a, a larger scale one, so you needed to get more insurance, or is that, am I mixing up this bid with some other bid that you were talking about earlier? Yeah, it's the same one. It's uh, for a new uh, electric company, and they just had more insurance requirements than I normally carry. So this is like a, the local utility company, and uh, you're in North Carolina, is or that right? North, North Mississippi. North Mississippi, North. Thanks for giving me the benefit of the doubt with the North. So this was uh, for the local utility company down there, then. Yeah. Now, how did you how did you get in with the? Are they a publicly traded company? Uh, they are not. They're actually a co-op. Oh, okay. But regardless, how did you get in with? Uh, I would assume a relatively big utility company. Um. So, they uh, two last year I had a. Uh, some contact with their CEO, president, whatever, on some tree work at his house. And he had mentioned about me bidding on right-of-way work. I wasn't really interested in doing right-of-way work like clearing around power lines because that's uh, not a market I'm interested in. Um, so I kind of let it just fall to the wayside. And then on our property, we're getting a few spans of power line moved out of the middle of the field and to the edge to follow along the road. and uh, did you hear that beep, by the way? I did, but that's okay. Well, it's probably, give me one second. It shouldn't be. Well, that's not going to work. Uh, one second, I can put that off. It's a message. You're a pretty popular person, then. I don't know. I mean, I've, this is my first time to get a call. In the, oh, I, haven't, I haven't gotten a call in the middle of the webinar, so there's that. <laughs> there's always a first for everything, I guess. Uh, that's, I wouldn't that's worry not, about it. It's it's not that it's not your your story will be much more fascinating than any sort of beeps in the background. So I wouldn't worry about it. Okay, I'll just uh, mute the most common people. There you go. Um. Anyways, so then we're having this power line moved on our property for some future work that we're going to be doing, and uh, was talking to the guy that came out to talk with us about moving the line. And he was like, oh, hey, have you ever thought about you know doing right-of-way? I was like, yeah, I'm not really interested in doing power lines. He was like, oh, no, we're talking about new, new right-of-ways where, you know, like this job that I just did, they're moving another power line to follow the road. And so there's like 1,300 feet of uh, right-of-way to clear. And that's what you have been um, hired to do is just clear no, it no, away? No. So that was just a bid. Uh, okay. Bids were due six seconds ago, and so they should be announcing a winner in the next couple hours. Really? They're going to go through all the bids that quick? Yeah, it was only five of us showed up for the meeting. The uh, sixth guy was 20 minutes late, and so he got kicked. Um, or he showed up as we were finishing the, the pre-bid meeting. 
Um, so they uh, they were not interested in him then. And this is clearly not some sort of government organization, because if this was a government organization, I mean, instead of getting back to you in a couple hours, it would probably be like a couple of months. So I guess... Uh, uh, yeah, so this is, it is private money, which is something else, or I say private, it's the co-op money, as opposed to like rural development or something along those lines. Um, but even still, with a if this was a civil project where you had uh, state money involved, then it would be a public uh, bid opening, and you could actually I could go actually go sit in the meeting and listen to everybody's bid as they opened them. Really, that's interesting. So it's almost like a, a public auction at that point. Uh, a sealed bid auction, sure. I mean, yeah. If I if I get if you announce your bid publicly, then I can sit there. How is the order determined? Like, it doesn't matter. what what it's what dictates who goes first? Because if you Lo- go last, I would think that person has the advantage. Oh no no no! So like right now, if this was a public bid, it's now twelve oh one. They would have stopped select. They would have stopped accepting people to submit their bids at twelve. They could be opening them now, but they're not accepting any new ones. They don't open them until after the deadline, and they just open them all up and record the the numbers. Oh, okay. So it's, I thought you meant it's like everybody sits down and people are disclosing their bids just publicly to everybody, but it sounds like well, I- Yeah, I, so I, on, a, no, on a public job, it would be like that. That's what uh, I'm saying, but so on a public job, it seems like- all the bids are already submitted. The contractor doesn't open the bid. It would be uh, typically you would have the customer of the engineering firm, which would be say like a, a water association, and then you would have their their staff, their, maybe their engineer, their outside engineer, their lawyer, whoever- they would open the bids in front of everybody and read them out. And then the secretary would record them. And so everybody could hear everybody's bid, but you can't change your bid after it's submitted. Ah, okay. All right. I was thinking like stock market type stuff where it's like level twos or something. And everybody's like, <laughs> oh, well, if you're bidding that, then I'll bid this. And it's like a hundred bucks less. But okay, that makes sense. You, Everybody reveals their bid, but you cannot change your bid after you. So, okay. That makes a little bit more sense because I'm thinking that I would... That sounds like something would be fun just to sit in on and watch how all that unfolds. But okay, I guess that uh, stipulation that no changes can be made changes uh, the dynamic quite a bit. Um, so I mean, how are you? How, are you feeling pretty good? Do you think you came in with a competitive bid, or was this uh, just, just more a, of a learning experience for you? Since it sounds like you haven't quite gone this extensive before. Well, I mean, I've done bigger jobs, substantially bigger. I've never done anything with this company, and the main my main disadvantage is two one their insurance requirements are higher than usual. Um, and two, it's 41 miles from my shop to the job site. So if there's someone that is more local and has local resources to get rid of the material, then they'll have an advantage that I won't. Yeah, they can ju- they'll have just uh, lower costs than you, obviously. So um, sure. that makes sense on why they'd be able to bid less. Do you know, did anybody bid, are you familiar with your competition? Are any more local than you are or are you, is it um, all pretty much scattered around? So there was one person that I, like at the bid meeting, you get to see everybody that's bidding because to put in a bid, you had to be at the bid meeting. Uh, so one, one representative was from a local company. The owner of it lives a mile and a half from here. Um, or one of the owners lives about a mile and a half from here. Uh, the, another one was from probably 60, 80 miles South, 60, 70 miles South, something like that. So they're going to be a little bit further away. The other three, I didn't know, or the other two, it was either five or six, uh, companies counting myself. 
So it sounds like you got a good chance then, especially if some people are even further than you are, then it would you would presume um, that their costs are, are going to be that much more. Um, plausibly, so. I mean, basically it's going to also depend on how, how hungry everyone is. Um, the job has a stipulation. It has to be done by the 22nd of September. So if you're busy, then uh, your bid would typically be higher because you're not really needing the work, as opposed to if you have you know, five employees that are just sitting on the clock looking for something to do, then you might do the job at cost uh, just to get them being productive and not just riding the clock. Yeah, no, I, I that's what I, supply and demand, supply and demand, and that's uh, what makes business exciting and challenging is trying to you know balance all that out. And yeah, if you are loaded up, then sure, I'll shoot you a bit. It'll be super high, and if I get it, well then um, I'll, I'll make it work for that price. But now, how long have you been in the tree business for? Actually, let me rephrase. How did you even get into the tree business <laughs> to begin with? Uh, I got into the tree business from the stump business. Okay, so how did you get into the stump business? We'll start there. Okay, so back in 98, we had a, 1998, we had a storm that hit our property and we ended up with like a thousand stumps. And uh, dad was a, or yeah, was a truck driver for a, he was a local truck driver. Um, but we ended up with a thousand stumps. We got a bid to have those stumps ground and it was like $8,000. I'm confused. I'm, I'm confused. You ended up with a thousand bids, so no, 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 no. We ended up with a thousand stumps. We had a storm. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I've been stumps. You ended up with a thousand stumps. So, does this mean that you uh, you grew up on quite a bit of acreage, and a storm literally came through and like wiped away a whole portion of this acreage, and that's where these thousand stumps came from? Or I mean, um, small acreage. It wasn't not anything. It's not. We're not talking about hundreds of acres by any means. We're talking about uh, sixteen acres at that point. I don't know, um, a thousand stumps, or is that just an exaggeration? No, that's, that's a literal thousand stumps. Man, I'll, I guess We've trees also, can grow pretty close together if you can get a thousand stumps on 16 acres. but Well, we also had, well, yeah, when you look at that, that's not really that many. Uh, typically, if you these weren't planted pine trees, but planted pine trees at the time of harvest might have 500 per acre. Re oh, wow. I'm, I, I, I did not... Uh, I don't know what the study of trees is, but apparently I didn't Arbor study it in college because I'm I'm pretty ignorant on on the subject so, as I'm quickly seeing. Forestry there. would be uh, silviculture, and uh, trees on a one-on-one -on -one basis would be arboriculture. Okay, well there we go. I did I studied engineering, so um, there, you go. there you go. That's uh, my my ignorance is quickly shining through. All right, so you had a so what kind of was this a storm like? Uh, let's see, you're in Mississippi. You guys get hurricanes there, right? Yeah, this was just a straight line wind event, kind of like a tornado that doesn't twist. Wow, and it just leveled a thousand trees. Yeah, so I think it was like, <laughs> like how you nonchalantly say, "Yeah, yeah," you know, it's just it's a wind blew through, knocked down a thousand trees. Yeah, you know, and just another day in Mississippi. But uh, oh, pretty much the uh, oh, I think it was a hundred and fifteen trees were better than three feet in diameter. Wow! And so obviously when they fell over, they knocked down other trees, and so yeah, it was a big mess. I think and we harvested, uh, or we had some loggers come in, and I think they harvested. I want to say it was a million pounds of merchantable logs, which now, that sounds that sounds right. Now, does did you get paid for that, or did you still have to pay for them to do it? It sounds like they're getting some good inventory there. So, how does that actually work? On that, well, you got to remember, I was twelve in '98. Um, but uh, best I remember, I think we did it on halves, and so I think. Maybe we maybe we made a little money, maybe, 
but the market also, when you have a straight line wind event, the market becomes saturated with wood because everybody's got trees down. And so the price is affected. That is true. Good old supply and demand. Uh, market yeah. gets inundated with supply that will drive down prices. So, I mean, that is kind of, I mean, so we, I realize 12 and, um, you know, that's 98, that's, that's a while ago. But I mean, did, is, is this what essentially kind of piqued your interest in things or are you fascinated by it? No, no, no. So it, we, but... got the, we got the bid to grind those thousand stumps for $8,000. And uh, dad was of the opinion that we work for a living and we can't afford to pay $8,000 and have nothing to show for it. You know, we spend $8,000 and all we have left is a thousand piles, thousand piles of stump chips. Uh, so instead, we went out and spent $27,000 on a stump grinder. So you 27000 or 2700 1000 Okay. So obviously, doing the payback, you do all your own stumps. Yeah, you've saved 8000 but you're still in the hole. So I would assume that... Uh, your dad's business plan was now you're going to go and do other people's stumps too to get the piece of equipment paid for? Yeah, so actually I put the money up to buy the stump grinder from some investments that were made when I was younger. Um, pause, pause button. So you're 12 and a 12-year-old, you're putting up money for a $27,000 stump grinder? <laughs> yeah. So what were these investments then that were allowing some 12-year-old to act as the banker and finance a $27,000 piece of equipment. This is this is good stuff. I'm fascinated here. Um well I mean obviously it wasn't a whole lot of it wasn't my decision. I mean some of this stuff was around since I was born. Um but we had a mom had a friend that was a financial planner that she might have been working for actually at the time of the storm. Um but just money was put in when I was younger and some money was added to it as I grew up and it did well. And that's uh, that. That's good stuff. Because, um, like, like you uh, admitted, you haven't listened to anything. So this kind, this is just. There's no agenda. But what I find fascinating is um, for any parents out there listening. I mean, the power of good parenting. I after hearing this, your your parents were clearly very wise in the financial realm of things. Because by starting to invest for you since you were born, twelve years later, those investments yielded the ability for you to finance a piece of equipment. So. Um, you know, if, if there's anything out there to take away from that is, yeah. Um, do you, do you have any idea at all how much your parents are putting away? I mean, I totally get it if you don't, but um, I mean, just out of curiosity, like a hundred bucks a month, do you have any no, idea? No, it was, it was lump sums from when I was born. Okay. It, mostly. Right. And then, I mean, some of it was also money that I earned. My grandfather and I used to, uh, walk the roads, picking up cans or he would sit on the four wheeler and I would pick up uh, Coke cans <laughs> nice. on the side of the road. Yep. Um, so I mean, that made several thousand dollars doing that. And this is what do you you started doing that at age what? Uh, I started walking when I was about a year old, or yeah, uh, probably five or six. Five or six. Okay. So I mean, I mean just, you. I'm were... guessing he died when 2001. So yeah, I mean, I would have had to have been. Yeah, it would have been somewhere four, five, six. Okay, we moved so, out to the property when I was six. So it's safe to say that um, the way you kind of grew up, you had a work ethic kind of drilled into your head. I mean, your grandpa Absolutely. was like, hey, you want to make an opportunity for yourself? See those cans over there? They ain't going to pick themselves up. But if you pick them up, you can get a good return on investment. Is that basically kind of... Um, it wasn't that sophisticated. It was like, hey, we're going to pick up cans. And so we went and picked up cans. 
Did he, did he explain that you would get money for picking up these cans? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, it was a. Uh, I, I knew while we were doing it. Um, but it's one of those things where you know each can doesn't make a whole lot, but the steady drop wears the stone. Um, so it was just it wasn't a. I mean, yeah, it was basically it was just work. We were picking up cans. We'd haul the cans to the scrapyard when we got enough, and we'd get some money for it. That money would go into my passbook savings account, and. There you go. And I like, you just say everything like it's not a big deal, but I mean. Well, it's just work, right? I, I, it is just work, but that's my point is, for you it's just work, and you're kind of making my point for me, when you have good parents, when you have good grandparents, when you actually get out there and parent yourself, you drive into your kids kind of the nonchalantness of, well, it's just work, like it's no big deal. but. You know, and I'm not picking on all millennials out there, but I guarantee you some people would be like, you want me to pick up a can? Well, how am I supposed to play my video games right now? What do you mean you want me to go pick up? Hmm. To them, to other people, it's not just work. So that's, I mean, you very clearly had a work ethic beat into you at a young, and beat into you, I mean, in well, a nice, kind way. But you no, know, I mean, corporal punishment's a very uh, purposeful thing. Yeah, I mean, incentives. It all boils down to incentives. If, if you don't want to have, you know, I will just put, I will, I will leave it at this, is I, I like the way that you were growing up and now that I've gotten to know you, you make that much more sense, but um, I mean, will, will you give your grandfather and your parent? I mean, give them no, some no, credit, no, right? No, no, Would you sure. agree that you're glad that they raised you the way they did when it comes to actually work and money and you know that money doesn't grow on trees, you actually have to go out there and earn it? Yeah, you have to cut the trees down. There you go, so I mean. The, uh, uh, no, no, I mean, that no, it definitely wasn't uh belittling their parenting or their, their raising. I was saying that it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a big unusual thing uh, to go out and do some kind of work, some kind of menial task. Um, and so it was just, it was just part of life. It wasn't like it was a uh, one big unique, I we're doing this for this and this is what's going to happen. It was just, we were, we were just going to work. You know, um, I, I love that part of life. And I think you summarize it there. So and I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to you as listeners, if you have kids or if you plan to have kids someday, but please, if you just make work part of life, then you are gonna instill just kind of the nonchalantness that Carl has of, well, it's just work. You know, what's the big deal? It's just work. Like, that's what you do, you work. So yeah, make work a part of life as you raise your kids and uh, you're, you're really gonna set them apart, especially in this day and age. So um, anyways, I don't even know how we got down that rabbit hole, but that's good. Oh yeah, the money. So you were just, ra- I mean, you're basically entrepreneur, whether or not you knew it at age six or seven, you didn't understand, you were just like, well, let's go pick up cans and you'll get money. But you took that money and then combined with the money that your parents had gotten, you were just throwing that into, um, do you have any idea what was in these accounts? Was it like um, mutual funds? There was some mutual funds. I remember I had some consolidated Freightway stock. Um, I had some Cadence stock, which before that was NBC and before that was First Federal. Um, that ended up being mostly a dud, but... Um, that was later in life. Um, but I mean, these accounts clearly grew because over the course of, well, not even necessarily 12 years, but since you were born, when it came age 12 and you knew that piece of equipment, you had at least $27,000 in the account. Is that a pretty accurate summary or understanding yeah, I mean, of the scenario? From what I remember, because I mean, granted, I was 12, so. Right. Yeah. I wasn't managing my own funds by any means, uh, or I wasn't managing those funds. Um, but yeah, it was basically, we took the money out of my investments and bought a stump grinder. 
Now, did your dad kind of run his idea by you, or is he just like, listen, Carl, oh, yeah, this is what's happening? Yeah, he didn't take the money. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't his to take. So he explained his thought process to you? Sure. And you agreed with it? Well, I mean, I was 12. Who disagrees with their father at 12? And I, I don't disagree now, but... No, I, 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 I'm fully behind it. I'm just trying to think was, it sounds like there might have been some entrepreneurial lessons being taught already at age 12. So he proposed it to you um, in a, an FYI kind of way, not in a, this is what's going to happen type sure. of way. I mean, could you have said no if you wanted to? Um, sure. But by the same token, what would have been my logic? I mean, what do I know? I, I would argue that you, did, you, I would agree, or I would argue that you probably didn't have that much logic because, I mean, if uh, I would assume your dad knew that there would be plenty of other business out there uh, to go and do the stumps, so that oh, yeah. There was, so uh, the the ironic part was, um, we gave ourselves two years to get the mess cleaned back up. You know, the loggers came in, hauled out the logs, left all the limbs, all the brush, all the mess. So we gave ourselves two years to get the mess cleaned up, including. Including grinding the stumps, which we ground, you know, periodically. But uh, when that summer after we bought the grinder, so it had been a we bought the grinder in August or after August, so it had been I would have been 13. The rule was that I had to go every day. I had to run a tank of fuel through the stump grinder before I could go play or do whatever else, um, grinding our own stumps. So you know, he would come home in the in the evenings. We'd fuel up the grinder, grease it, get everything ready. And then the next morning, I would have to go out and grind for uh, three or four hours um, on our stumps to get our property cleaned back up. And then after that, I could do whatever I wanted, basically. So in other words, work before play. Absolutely. Another That's another good thing to instill in, uh, that's what I'm gonna try to instill in my kids, work before play. Because if you play before you work, now all of a sudden, bad things happen from a, a financial perspective. So. I'm liking this. I'm liking your childhood quite a bit. So you had a two-year time uh, timeline. Did you meet that deadline, or, or oh yeah, what that happened was a, in regards that was to that? A, I think we beat it by a few months. We lit the last pile uh, in, a, in it was cold, so sometime in the winter. So we beat it by a few months. So that was good. We actually didn't have uh, we had a tractor, but we didn't have a front end loader on the tractor, or anything like I have now, equipment wise, to make the job easier. Um, Ironically, growing up, uh, when dad said, you know, hey, get dressed, we're going to work, I'd always ask, you know, what are we doing? And regardless of whatever it was we were doing, the answer was always, we're piling brush. It didn't matter if we were digging ditches or what, he would always just say, piling brush. Um, <laughs> and now I grew up to pile brush for a living. Yeah, the the ironies here are, are good, but they, they're actually making quite a bit of sense. So I'm thinking you gave yourself two years to get things cleaned up. Now, were you out there using that piece of equipment on other jobs too during this sure. two years, or is that two sure. years strictly no, no, focused no, the, the, on your the two property? Years, the two the stump grinder was just for grinding stumps, and I don't know if I ground most of the stumps, or I don't know what percentage of the stumps I ground on my property on our property, but it must have been a bunch of them. But Dad would go out and grind, do the four hire jobs, which we started doing in '98 as soon as we bought the grinder. Okay, that's what my, that was my question is, did you guys literally sit on that piece of equipment for two years before you started to go out and you know create revenue so with it? But it sounds like the, both were going the, on at the same time. Yeah, grinding the stumps was just part of cleaning up the property. The two-year thing was to clean up all of the fallen trees that weren't harvested, all of the uh, limbs and just the crap that had fallen off of the trees when they were 
doing the logging. You know, basically getting it all cleaned back up so it could be mowed and kept up like we had been keeping it. Okay, no, that makes sense. I was just a little... The stump grinding probably only took a couple weeks, probably. Oh, okay, all right. So the the two-year thing was like literally, gotcha. That was just the like entire problem. I thought the two years the was we got a 1,000 stumps to get through and it's gonna take us that long. Again, I'm, I'm very no, clearly would... ignorant on this topic. So clearly you can get through a 1,000 stumps a whole lot quicker than two years. Yeah, that wouldn't be a very good RVR there to spend thirty thousand or twenty seven thousand dollars to save eight thousand over two years. Yeah, and that's what I was kind of getting at is wait a second. So you waited two years, but now things are now we're on the same page for sure. Now, um I get it once again, you were twelve, fourteen, you know, thirteen, whatever. Do you have any idea what your dad would charge to go out and do other people's stumps? Sure. So it started at uh forty dollars an hour. Uh we did we had one job or one customer in particular that we did a lot of work for that most of the jobs were done by bid, but this particular customer who's still a customer um, had a bunch of stumps from the same storm. And so dad gave him an hourly rate, which was at that point, $40, $40 an hour. Um, that later was increased over time. Now, were you the only ones, I realize you don't, you don't know, Every no, single I, bit of data around you, but were you kind of the only people around the, the neck of the woods that decided to go buy your own stump grinder, or did other people was, kind of think the way your other, dad was thinking? There was a couple. There was another competitor that had been doing it before, um, but he did it uh, very much as a sideline business, and um, we never seemed to have a whole lot of free time in terms of we always had work to do. So there, yeah, there was plenty of work to go around, and I don't. Maybe you mentioned this. If you did, I apologize for for not remembering it. But did your dad? What did your dad do? Because it sounds like all of a sudden he had time to go and start doing all this other stump stuff. Or is no, this so stump stuff occurring drove, after his normal day to day job? Yeah, so it was after he he drove a he was a local truck driver uh, that made local deliveries, and his work schedule and seniority made it so he had three day weekends. Um, so he's off Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So he would grind stumps on Friday, Saturday. We would work on the stump grinder on Sunday, and he'd go back to work Monday. So, in other words, your dad was a beast. He, the, the guy, knew how to work. Is what? Yeah, I'm, that's that's what he, that's what he did, and that's yeah, what he just, still does. Yeah, it's it's just work, right? It's just work. Yeah, it's uh, there's lessons to be learned on uh, both sides of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so I'm this is this is good stuff. I love to talk about the numbers and the building of a business. So, how long do you think it took? Uh, to get that machine paid off for. Obviously, you saved 8000 right out the get-go. Penny saved is a penny earned, but you still had... Uh, um, I don't have good numbers on that. Uh, I know January 1st of 2001, we bought our second stump grinder. Oh, really? Uh, okay. So you... I, I, all right, I like this. So you you got it paid off within two years. Does that sound probably pretty uh, accurate? Two plausi- or three years? Plausibly. The, plausibly. Oh, I mean, it's we didn't... It wasn't... It was an equity, so it was it was just equity. Right, um, but the point being is it's not like it was a bad decision on your dad's part to go oh this no. route if a few years later, now all of a sudden you're, you're upping that. So do you remember what dictated what your dad's thought process was if he explained it to you on, um, you know, what sort of milestone might have been hit that justified now bringing on another piece of equipment? Oh, well, actually, it was a, so I did a lot of stump grinding for hire as well. Um, depending on the situation, especially after about the second grinder. Um, but on the 
we bought it in two, we bought it January first, two thousand one, so it'd be on the next year's taxes. Um, but you know, grinding was going well. The grinder, we, the first grinder we bought was a good sized grinder. Um, they're still being sold. A variant of them is still being sold today. Uh, but it was made to go through a three foot gate. It had fifty horsepower, and so he was wanting a bigger stump grinder to uh, have more power. So instead of fifty horsepower, it had eighty three. And it was five feet wide instead of having some tires you could take off to make it go through a three-foot gate. So that way we'd have a big machine for bigger stumps and bigger areas and a smaller machine for smaller areas. Um, so you guys were you guys were basically thinking of points A to Z and everything in between in terms of what you could encounter and uh, you wanted to make sure, sure. that you had the... Especially, you know, and he only basically, basically he only worked two days a week doing stub running. So the more stumps you can grind, the the better it is. Uh, it still was kind of a hard uh, justification or rationalization to my mother um, for a part-time business. To the second grinder cost forty thousand um, dollars in two thousand one, and so we had you know another forty thousand dollars going out for a part-time business was kind of a a stretch. But she was very conservative. Uh, if you asked her, or growing up. Uh, my perspective of her perspective was that we never had money to speak of. However, we never didn't have money. So, you know, her perspective might've been a little, uh, uh, conservative. Yeah. It sounds like conservative is the perfect wor uh, word for that. Where did the $40,000 come from? Was this another, some sort of loan? Did it come from a, a, no, it wasn't a, a loan. account? That I mean, where, where is this from profits? Best I remember that actually came from some of my parents' investments. Because um, I remember Dad saying, because we had the 2000 uh, bubble, um, I remember Dad saying he should have bought two stump grinders um, because of the the what the market did in 2000. Right. Um, so they just they sold some of their. Well, that was good. One of the bubble pop. That was what like 2001 ish or so. Yeah, right, right around that same time. So your dad got out probably pretty close to the high. Uh, somewhere. Yeah, it should have been near the peak one side or the other. Yeah, well, uh, there you go. The stump grinder actually turned out to be a very, very wise move. Um, and okay, like I said, time-wise, we're at about 2,000. So this puts you at 2001. about- 2001. so this puts you at about, what, 15-ish years old? 2001, yeah, 15. Okay, um, I mean, I and I'm assuming- Now, when you were doing all this, did I guess I don't know this, but did you, did you go to college at all, or did, were you just kind of in the- yeah, hey, so, this, this stump uh, grinding thing's working. I'm just going to stick with that. This is way better than any sort of college edu education I could get in terms of entrepreneurship. I mean, what, where did, I guess, where did kind of your educational path go? Um, so, yeah, I went to college. Actually, and also to go back on that $40,000 thing, a 2001 uh, Corvette MSRP for a two-door coupe was $40,280. The Z06 Corvette was $48,000. So for some context, uh, now a Z06 is 105000 So basically the stump grinder cost as much as a Corvette. Yeah, that is uh, that is a interesting bit of context there. That's that's crazy stuff. Um, so that would have been 2001. So 2003, I was a junior in high school, and that's when I started the tree service. Um, I went out and sold four tree jobs and went home and, told dad at that point dad had to work his terminal move 70 miles away so he had an apartment that he stayed at he went up there monday came back thursday night 
and then ground stumps Friday, Saturday, worked on the grinder Sunday, and went back to work Monday. Um, anyways, I went and sold four tree jobs and told that, well, hey, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you, you're too nonchalant here. What, what in the world made you decide at age 17, you're still in high school, that 16. you're going to go sell a tree job? What would, where because did that whole idea came from? Stumps are dusty and monotonous. So you were just, I, I want, I want a little bit of break in the action then? Yeah. So, you know, possibly more money. Um, it'd be my own little thing, entirely my own little thing. Uh, yeah, and, and not, you know, grinding stumps. The shade's already been cut down. In the summer, it's dusty. Um, the machine's hot. It puts off a lot of heat. You know, it's just not very enjoyable, especially with our equipment we had back then, which was still, at that time, it was top of the line. That stump grinder that we bought came out the same year it was one of the first self-propelled higher horsepower machines as opposed to the kind that has to go behind your truck. Um, so anyways, it was just a, yeah, a break and something, something new, something different. Was the main one, I guess, what was your main approach to just selling a tree job? I mean, were you knocking on people's doors? How did you even know? Cause what I'm trying to get is hopefully there's some younger people listening to this. And I mean, you know, no excuses. Here we have somebody that's 17 and going out and, you know, whether or not you looked at it uh, like this at that point in time in terms of, hey, I'm, I'm building a business. Maybe you were just, you know, I don't know what your perspective was, but regardless, you're 17 and you're going to go out there and start selling jobs. So, I mean, where did these potential customers even come from? I mean, were you cold calling? How did all this actually work? Yeah, so actually I was 16. And so I just got my driver's license that November and I started doing the trees in April. Um, but uh, obviously if we do stump grinding, we're already seeing people's properties. We're already there doing stumps. Uh, we had built a name up for ourselves. And uh, I don't remember precisely which, I remember two early jobs, but I don't really remember. I, I can't remember those four jobs specifically. Um, but it was basically just, happenstance you know we were there to possibly i went to go bid a stump job and was like oh hey yeah we can cut down that tree for you and there you go and your dad was totally cool with that oh uh, so no he didn't know until i sold. He didn't know four. okay so now you're okay here we go so i sold the four jobs and you know he'd always told me i could do anything i wanted except drive a truck he didn't want me driving a truck for a living um so he uh said I could do whatever I wanted. So, okay. So I sold those four jobs. You know, he came home that Thursday night. I was like, oh, hey, I sold some tree jobs. And from our experience with other tree guys, you know, they had um, they had got themselves pinned in trees before, cut themselves with chainsaws, a lot of uh, safety issues that were very uh, detrimental to the long-term sustainability of doing tree work. Um, so anyways, his first thing was like, oh, hey, no, you're not doing tree work, actually. I was like, well, I've already sold four jobs. You know, I've got to do those. And we're big on, you know, doing what we say we're going to do. So he's like, all right, do those four jobs and that's it. And obviously it didn't go that way. Um, so one thing led to another. And uh, two years later, we actually put the tree service and the stump service together. Um, all right, wait, wait a second. All right, so you where, first off, where did the chainsaw come from? Where did all the equipment huh. come from? So my first jobs, the chainsaw was borrowed from the stump service, which I was an equity member, so that's my chainsaw too. 
um, the climbing equipment and the trailer I hauled the debris on was actually borrowed from another guy that did tree work on the side. He worked in maintenance at a at warehouser, um, and so he had a little sixteen foot little utility trailer, a uh, set of spikes, and a lineman's belt. Um, none of it particularly well suited for doing trees, but you know he made a, he made money with it. So there you go. Um, anyway, so it was I borrowed the chainsaw from the stump service and the climbing equipment from uh, this this other guy that did trees on the side. And you knew how to do all this how? Where did you learn how to do all this? <laughs> um, so through Boy Scouts, I had some experience with uh, high angle or, or ropes course uh, cope, uh, the rappelling and such as that, uh, rock climbing, things of that nature, and then obviously traditional knots and such as that. Um, the actual, I remember when I actually got the four jobs, I remember I had a conversation with my dad trying to actually understand how you know when you make the cuts in the tree how that's supposed to actually work like i know i know what you're supposed to do but why are you supposed to do that because you know people always talk about oh well, you never know where the tree's going to go but i was like that just doesn't seem right you know there should be some kind of science or logic behind it it shouldn't just be uh we stick a ch- chainsaw on the tree and hope for the best um so actually i did a lot of uh research and learning uh in one of my high school classes um i had a class was tech discovery or tech technology applications. I had, I had both of those classes. I can't remember which one was my junior and senior year, but it was a, a two period class. So two hours every day, uh, I was in this class and this class gave you work in two week modules and I could do the work in two or three days. So that gave me a lot of time to browse the internet. And so I found online forums and learned a lot that way. And this was 2001-ish? Three. 2003. 2003. Okay. So let's see, I graduated high school in 2002. So yeah, I guess the internet was a thing. Um, some people had heard of this thing called Amazon. Maybe some people had heard of it. Um, but yeah, okay. So uh, YouTube, what was YouTube or it was around then, wasn't it? Maybe. Maybe. A lot of it was from online forums. Um, okay, so you're just... You, you, I guess the point here being is, and this is a, once again, I know you haven't listened to anybody others, you know, any of these other interviews, discussions, whatever you want to call them, but there is yet another theme of somebody that is just going out there and saying, yeah, I'll do it. Even though they don't really know how to necessarily do it, they're saying they're going to do it and then they just figure put on their big boy pants and they will go out there and figure it out. So Carl is yet another data point and for those of you that have listened to all the past uh, discussions, you know exactly what I mean by here's somebody else that's getting it done by just saying, yeah, I can do it and I'll get it done, even if they don't necessarily know how to do it. Um, so Sure, fake it until you make it. There you go, yeah, fake it until you make it. Um, and how did that first job go? Were you scared out of your mind or did you go show up pretty confident? Um, well, I remember while I was still in high school, you know, I had high school friends that would help me on the jobs. And a lot of them, as I got more experience, a lot of them would get unduly excited when something happened on the job. And so I remember I made the rule that no matter what happens, we meant for it to happen. You know, <laughs> I like, I like just just it. act like we meant for it to happen. It doesn't matter, you know, no matter what, we meant for it to happen. And usually it was something like, you know, they had never seen a top fall out of a tree 60 feet and slide on the ground. You know, so they might be all woohoo and something right. like that. And that just doesn't look good. You know, we don't want to be out here looking like, you know, 
this is our first tree to cut down. And right, yeah, it, it's like football. You know, I can't stand the guys that are dancing all around. It's like act like you've scored a touchdown before. I mean, yeah, when you're yeah, sitting you're, there you're acting like a job. clown, that looks so bad. Act like you've been in the end zone before. So it sounds like you adopted the same policy. Sure, um, but yeah, I mean, things were obviously uh, exciting from a lack of experience and a lack of, uh, well, yeah, mainly experience. You can you can learn a lot online, or you can learn a lot from books and such as that. But there's still, uh, I know a lot more than I've experienced, and so there's a bit of a transitional period there. Yeah. Now you were you were paying your friends, I would assume, or were they just helping yeah. you out out of the kindness absolutely. of their hearts? No, absolutely. Now, what were you paying them? Because I like this. You're a, you're a high schooler and you're already creating jobs. This is this is good. <laughs> um, you're talking about like what? Like how much? How much should I pay them? Yeah. Like was it per hour per job? What was the was, pay structure? Generally speaking, it have been per hour. Um, back then, minimum wage would have been five whatever an hour. I think I had a rule that if you couldn't make it was either eight or ten dollars an hour that I didn't want you to be around. Um, so the minimum that I paid was either eight to ten dollars an hour. And I would assume that you knew your had an idea of your cost going in, and then you would just bid the the job appropriately from there. Did those first couple of jobs that you sell did those actually turn out to be maybe like losses or break even? Uh, well, that's the big thing about trees is that it's a a very low cost of entry um, field, just like stock trading. You know, as long as you have a dollar, you can go on Robinhood and buy an option contract. Um, I don't know if that's the best analogy. I mean, that's kind of like, well, no, as long as you have a, a chainsaw, you can climb up to some super tall tree and start hacking away. Well, no, I, mean, no, I didn't say I didn't say that you were qualified to go to Robinhood and buy a contract. Oh, fair enough. The, the fair cost enough. of entry is very low. Fair the, enough. The margin of entry, as opposed to if you wanted to be a stockbroker or anything like that, you have to have licensure and all that. Yep. You know, the cost of being a tree guy is to have a pickup and a chainsaw. There you go. Um, All right, that's 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 a big word, and I fully agree. But to be a qualified tree guy, that's that's kind of a whole other ball game. But uh, sure, but but well, yeah. But I mean, there's sometimes I'll get tagged on Facebook for you know somebody saying, "Hey, we're looking for a, a tree guy," and some of my customers go on there and tag me. And I remember, I think it was last year, somebody went on there and did, and like six of my customers go on there and save me. So I go in there and say, hey, here's my name, here's my Facebook page, here's my phone number, give me a call if you want to. I went back a day later, and there was 17 people that were either recommended or said they were tree guys. And of those 17, I'd heard of six of them. And of those six, I was one. And I've been, I lived, I've lived in this city my whole life. So, you know, generally speaking, I know most of the tree players, but anybody with a chainsaw and a pickup is a tree guy. So, in theory, they're a tree guy. No, no, they're they're a tree guy with air quotes. You know, they can they can cut a tree down. Whether or not it's a predictable result is you know a different conversation. But they are tree guys are very uh, low on the totem pole in terms of professionalism and public appearance or public opinion of their professionalism. I I guess I define a tree guy. I see I see how you define a tree guy. You have a chainsaw and you can go cut down a tree. But I define a a true tree guy, a qualified true tree guy, is somebody that can probably know how to notch the tree so that it falls in the direction that they want it to fall. I mean, that's well, kind of. Sure, but, but you have plenty of people that fake it until they make it. Right. Well, like the turnover of guys with pickup trucks and chainsaws that do tree work is stupendous. So, like, would you say that the tree business is competitive or no? Because, I mean. Sure. So, it depends on the kind of work that you're going after, but. Um, 
there's nothing unique. There's not very much unique in the tree world. So there's obviously going to be competition. If you're doing work for residential residential jobs, homeowners, things like that, then you know traditionally the main thing they care about is the low price. Low price favors low overhead. Uh, people working for what we call beer money. Um, so yeah, I mean there's there's plenty of plenty of competition uh, through my equipment sales and through the online relationship relationships I've developed online. You know it seems like generally speaking per capita you're going to have one tree service per every five to ten thousand citizens. So in tree service meaning like one that actually advertises or has a business license or at least has some kind of tangible they're actually a business, not somebody that works for cash on the side. Um, so in our town, you know, we have 60,000 people in our county. Uh, so that means there should be, you know, roughly six to 10 tree services, which there is. Interesting. Where do you get all this data from? Just uh, observation. If you okay. go to Los Angeles, you know, big town, and there's 300 people in the phone book. There are 300 services in the phone book. Um, so it's just, yeah, generally speaking, people talking to other tree services, especially selling equipment, they're like, oh, you don't understand. You know, we got, we have all these people, we have all these low people that just work for nothing. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, imagine how it is in Mississippi, the poorest state in the country. You know, there's plenty of, uh, people with pickup trucks and chainsaws that do tree work after hours. So anyways, yeah, it's a, it's a competitive market. Um, but you build up somewhat of a brand and a reputation and, that helps, you know, carry you through. Now, how have you built up your brand? How have you built up your reputation? I would, I'm assuming it's a good brand and a good reputation, uh, um, but I mean. Well, the brand specifically is a little looser. Uh, it's basically just the last name. Um, and because it started off as Stumps, then it did Trees, and then it was uh, Rutherford Tree and Stump Service, and then it became Rutherford Contracting. Um, as time went on, uh, but yeah, dad had a, always had a big, uh, big work ethic and we did a lot of work. Uh, so that gave us a reputation for working hard, which got us, you know, invited for people who were looking for work to be done. And, you know, usually speaking, we do what we say we're going to do. And so it's just all kind of building a good, build, building a good name for yourself. It's amazing how, when you do what you say you're going to do, how far that can actually take you in the real world. I mean, it's it seems simple, but you know, apparently it's not as simple as what it may sound. But uh, I mean, yeah, there's I, always, I think- There's always extraneous, uh, extraneous uh, circumstances that are behind your control that you can blame for why something didn't happen like it was supposed to. But that doesn't really, uh, that doesn't get what done, get, that doesn't get done what needs to be done. So, you know, they don't really care to hear excuses or reasons. They want to see results. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And- yeah, if you say you're gonna do something, then just go out and do it. So I wanna go back to high school. Um, you Me too, that'd be great. What's that? I said I'd love to go back to high school too and take what I do now. <laughs> yeah, uh, it depends on the day, I guess, if I wanna be uh, back in high school. But you did say you went to school, so I, what, what, did, uh, what did you major in in, in college? Um, never really majored in anything. Um, so I had, so you're talking about we're going back to college, so a couple of years later, or in late high school. So we had uh, my college was already paid for through uh, something called Impact, which is Mississippi, whatever, whatever, whatever. 
that's basically where you pay in money or you pay a lump sum and the state guarantees they'll pay your tuition to a public university for four years. Okay. Um, so I did that. Um, or we had that from, again, those investments when I was younger. Uh, we lump summed it sometime around the same time we started doing the trees. I mean, the stumps. Um, so I had college paid for that way. But then I went out and applied for, I think my parents wanted me to go to a junior college. And I thought junior colleges were dumb. So... I went out and got a scholarship from the Army to go to Mississippi State, um, a three-year scholarship, so it wasn't a full ride. Uh, I had I'd have to pay for my freshman year, and then after that, it was a $60,000 scholarship, which paid uh, for tuition, room board, books, a monthly stipend, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so when I first went my freshman year, you know, I was thinking I'd get some kind of degree maybe in uh, urban forestry, which would be arboriculture. Um, something along those lines, perhaps. Um, so that's where I started at Mississippi State. Okay. Now, uh, this did you you got a scholarship from the army, or did you have to join the army to get the scholarship? That's the same thing. Okay, so you joined the army. Uh, yes and no. So it was a three-year scholarship, and so my first year is on me. So I was in our I was in our ROTC. Okay, I ROTC. Do. I'm familiar with that. Gotcha. Right. But then beginning of my sophomore year, as soon as I started receiving benefits from the scholarship or to receive the benefits for the scholarship, which would have been the end of my freshman year, beginning of my sophomore year, I would have had to have contracted, which if I contracted, then that meant that I would have been signing up for the remainder of college plus an additional eight years. So roughly 11 years of my life would be contracted to the Army. Um, of which three would have been in college, four years, generally speaking, the eight years are somewhat flexible, but four years active duty, four years in reserves, and then you would roll out. Um, I ended up uh, turning down the scholarship uh, after, I think, one semester, I think, in ROTC. I think it was either, it was in my freshman year. It might have been at the beginning of second semester. Um, but anyways, I decided that I didn't want to go that route. Okay, and I mean, yeah, that, that's a pretty big time commitment. So where did the funds come from? Because obviously you had the $60,000 waiting for you, but if you backed out, then where did those funds come from? Did you just get a traditional loan or there's other no, scholarships remember that you Remember, I, I already had college paid for already. Through all the save, through all the investments you had it saved or paid for? Right, through the impact program, which is the Mississippi you pay in at either you need to pay a lump sum or you can pay more each month. You can pay a smaller amount each for however long the period is. And they guarantee that they'll pay four years of tuition starting at this date. Oh, and that's um, the entire tuition. Uh, Impact would pay the tuition. It wouldn't pay room and board or a stipend. Right, or but I mean, like it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, well, we'll you've paid in this amount, so we'll, we'll meet you X percent. It was like, no, we'll pay you. No, it was, yeah, it was, we'll, state, it was a state, or it, is, it still is a state, uh, state-funded or state-backed program, meaning if you pay in that amount, they gear, the state guarantees your tuition to any public university in Mississippi. How, how's that work? I mean, I, I maybe you don't follow the numbers of Mississippi, but is that um, is that viable? I mean, does does it make sense? Or, or are you guys you guys as a state of Mississippi loaded down in debt? Or does it actually work? Because uh, it, it sounds work. pretty fascinating. I mean, right now, when I looked at it for Carly, which is my 19-month-old daughter, uh, when I've looked at it for her, 
lump sum now is like $45,000, give or take. Oh, okay. Um, back then it was $10,000. So Oof, Inflation is a killer. Yeah, they say that uh, tuition uh, inflates faster than money inflates, which inflates faster than earnings inflates. But anyways, yeah, tuition is a, an expensive thing. You want to hear or my can't... solution? You want to hear my solution for all that? Uh, scholarships? No, I just, just just how to fix the rising cost of college. You want to hear my solution, my thoughts on that? What's that? Okay, so you're a businessman. If there's an unlimited customer base in the tree business, what are you going to do? So I guess you'd expand? Expand, right? Or, or again, just, you know, expanding as in raising prices, getting more jobs, all that, right? Fair assumption, right? Sure. So in the educational business, there is unlimited customers. In what sense? Well, you have the good old United States government saying, yeah, we'll pay for your education. Yeah, we'll pay for your education. So given that colleges are in the business of selling a service, why would they not hike their prices over and over and over again when they know they have an unlimited customer base where those customers are gonna have all the sorts of funds that they need? So my proposition um, is you gotta just get rid of the government. No more government subsidized loans. Hand it all okay, over to the loans. private sector. What do you think about that? Uh, sure. So it's interesting that when you file bankruptcy, one of the debts you can or one of the only debts you can't absolve yourself of is, is student, student loans. loans. Yep. Um, and then you also have uh, the spending of the money from student loans is often spent on entirely dumb things. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, no, I'm not even talking about like you know eighty thousand dollars for a liberal arts degree in you know unicorn fluffing or whatever. <laughs> I like that degree, unicorn fluffing. I may have to, I may have to steal that for future podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Now to think about it, that might not be PC. Or I don't, I don't even know what that means. I'm, it's staying in. If that offends okay. you, I'm sorry. Anyways, let's keep going. Um, but like, uh, I know. One of my friends, one of my friends' spouses, we'll, leave it, we'll go that far, uh, she got a student loan to go back to school. You know, she was going to go back and get her teaching degree or whatever. Well, anyway, she went for one semester, got three or $4,000 in student debt, and dropped the classes, bought a laptop. With the student loan money? Absolutely. And then this, this, that loan is going to be paid back how exactly? Uh, that's on her. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, and that's 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 real life stuff there. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, I I think that the uh, the government needs to get out of the way. If you hand it to but a bank, the, but the problem with handing it to a bank is you're gonna end up with a lot of people who don't qualify for the loans because they're not. And government. okay, that's fine. Why wouldn't they qualify? Let, let me let because me let me run a proposition by you. If I go, you're a bank, Bank of Carl, and I say, hey Carl, can you loan me forty thousand dollars? I'm gonna go and get a degree in the theory and history of unicorn fluffing. What are you gonna tell me? I would tell you no. Okay, hey Carl, Bank of Carl, here's a job proposal. I'm gonna go get a, a four-year degree in engineering and this type of engineering, there's a big job market right now. There's also a 20% you know, expected job growth over the next 10 years so that when I graduate four years from now, there's still gonna be a big job market and you can see the average starting pay is $60,000 a year and you know there's a big job market for it. So Carl, would you give me the loan in this situation? Yeah, I mean, that would be uh, Exactly, better. so that's, 
to but your point, well, if you head to the some... bank, a lot of people aren't going to qualify. Good. A lot of people should not qualify for loans if you're going to get a degree in unicorn fluffing. I agree. You better not qualify for that. But if you hand it over to the for-profit businesses, they're going to do their homework. They're only going to loan out money to kids that are getting worthwhile degrees. So all these kids that get out there and are screwed with student loans, I'm not yelling at you, Carl. I'm just, my sure, adrenaline no, is taking over. I get it. But that oh, would also so you, dramatically change the uh, political landscape of the colleges and universities. I, I, I fully agree with that too. I mean, well, it would be a I'm whole other- a, The loans aren't the only issue in the systematic issue or of the systematic issues. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be a, a total revamp of the situation. Oh, okay. So here's something from a retired public teacher uh, that was one of my Boy Scout leaders. Uh, he taught me Mississippi studies in high school. Anyways, he now teaches, he retired from the public school system, went to teach at a private school. Um, the, you know, the public school, they get new books every couple of years. And he said at this private school, you know, they still have history books from the sixties. And, you know, his point was, was that it's history. It hasn't changed in the past 40 years. It's, it's history. You know, why do we need new books every year to teach us the same thing that hasn't changed in the last 40 years? You know, why can't we just keep using what we've been using? You know, sometimes if there's September 11th or other big events, you know, they'll have an addendum that they print out. But, you know, you don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every year or every few years on books when, you know, math, history, science, it's all, you know, pretty much consistent over the past 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, I, that, that's something that always, and I, I have, I can speak very intelligently about books given that this was kind of my college business, but to sit there and be like, oh, look, edition 15 of algebra has i didn't know algebra changed 18 times why exactly well, is there a new edition core. it's such a joke you, know, you got to have the common core now which yeah. i think was something to do with bill gates yeah I, it's um the whole educational system is just it's severely broken but uh yes i the whole premise is yeah, if you can tell kids, I'm sorry, no, you don't qualify for that. You're actually doing them a favor because if you're going to go into get a degree in, you know, the the history of Dutch wooden shoes, then, you know, that you're, we're doing you a favor, kid, because that's gonna. Now, if a kid shows up and can pay for cash, then get whatever degree you want. But, anyways, I don't but even then know. Then it would also be a supply and demand on the college level. You know, if people can't pay for uh, an erroneous degree, then they wouldn't be able to offer the erroneous degree. <laughs> supply and demand, it's a beautiful thing. Exactly. Well, what's that teacher going to do? I don't know. They're going to have to go get another job where there's actually a demand for that uh, degree. But uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and then, of course, if you take away the, the free money for everybody through the government, then what, is, what do colleges have to start to do all of a sudden? Well, oh, crap. I got to start to get competitive again. Time to start to lower prices. And voila, all of a sudden, college prices start to go down because there's no more unlimited money for every single kid out there, any, every single, you know, whoever wants to get a degree. So, uh, which is also yeah. though, it's not free money. The funny thing is though, is, you know, you have these, uh, it's free money in the sense that you can go and get the loan for it and you don't it's, need it's to have easy like, money. It's yeah, easy, easy money. money the, easy money. The exactly. downside is, is it's, you know, just like, uh, you know, decisions you make in, in high school or college, things like that can affect the rest of your life. That's another one of those things that really sticks with you because no. you can't, you can't get rid of it until you pay it off. Exactly. And like to your point, even if you file for bankruptcy, the student loan is still going to be sitting there. So that's kind of why I'm so passionate on the topic because you, you nailed it. I mean, these kids are making decisions 
at 18 years old, 19 years old. And like you said, I mean, it literally is gonna be with them for the foreseeable future. And then you read all the headlines, all millennials can't buy houses, why? Because they're loaded in student loan debt. And you know, it's, and it's not necessarily the, the debt, and I'm sure you would agree with this, it's not the debt that's the bad thing, it's the ability to pay the debt. I mean, if you're graduated with some sort of engineering degree or you know, nursing degree, then your ability to pay the debt is gonna be there because you're gonna have a job, you're gonna have a good paying job, but your ability to pay the, you know, the debt with you know, the, the philosophy of you know, wooden shoes from the Netherlands, that's, your ability is gonna be much more hampered. So, I mean, would you agree with that logic? Sure. Um, another thing that's interesting is uh, in, in some fields, like for example, teaching, you, know, you can have one girl that I used to date, uh, she was going to a private school for teaching and you know both of her parents worked but she didn't come from you know she wasn't she didn't come for money um not saying they were poor they just you know didn't have uh money to have an eighty thousand dollar teaching degree right um anyways she had a there was a program with the state where you go and work at some wherever the state sends you for i think five years and they write off your debt or pay your debt basically which normally means that you work five years in a very craptacular place, but you know, it got her, she got, she was able to go to the college that she wanted to. Uh, and as far as I know, was able to get that debt absolved. Now this always brings up the other side of the math where, okay, you got that debt absolved, but that was five years of what I would assume. Do you have to pay on the debt during that five years? Um, maybe, maybe not. I mean, like it's a whole, state program since it's going back into education and it's a student loan, it's all kind of, it's- I feel, well regardless, I mean, if that's part of the program, like you said, I'm, I'm sure that the pay was pretty subpar and- well, no, the, pay, the pay, as far as I know, is comparable to uh, whatever the situation, wherever the, wherever the school was. The kicker was though, is that there was a reason why they needed teachers that bad because the school was in a crappy part of the state or, you know, underprivileged or however you want to word a uh, craptacular place. Right. So it was, um, it was Generally an incentive speaking, to bring people in, but the, the work environment maybe was not ideal. Is that a, correct? That's probably just, just like a, just like a travel nurse, you know, travel nurses can make great money, but there's a reason why they're willing to pay you to come in and make great money is because you're filling in some kind of uh, significant need. Right just like contractors in Afghanistan and Iraq can make good money. Sure. But of course you're in Afghanistan and Iraq. And um, yeah, so exactly. But what I always kind of wonder is, yeah, cause you hear about, oh, well we have this loan forgiveness program, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, okay, well what up about until you get that loan you know, forgiven or whatever, you're losing a bunch of time where you could be potentially investing and letting compounding interest work for you. So I can't say I've ever crunched the numbers and I don't well, know but exactly. I mean, by the same token, if it depends also on your career and the uh, your debt versus income, basically, because even if you uh, uh, a teacher doesn't have you know a crap load of money anyways to be investing, you know, especially if they're trying to buy a house and get a family started and all that. Um, so being able to write off your entire college over five years could easily you know increase your apparent your 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 what well, that wouldn't be apparent your realized take on pay might increase by fifty or even a hundred percent depending on how 
much you make versus how much debt it was. Yeah, and I'm the, I fully agree with your numbers, but as you pointed out, uh, you know, there's always the the underlying theme here, where sure the numbers might look good on a spreadsheet, but the practical sense of the work environment that you may have to be undergoing, yeah, I the yeah, that, it's, that, it's, it's definitely uh, give and take. Sure. Well, I mean, you also have uh, in the medical field, it's not unusual for practices to uh, work out a deal on the student debt. You know, we have a member in IC that's applying to various uh, medical colleges. Um, I've got a one of my first employees is actually a dentist now, and uh, I would assume he has something worked out with his practice about the practice helping him out with his student loan from dentist, dentist school. His parents put him through his undergrad, and then it was on him to pay for dentist school. Just like I have another friend that uh, his parents put him through undergrad, and he had to pay his way through physical therapy school. So, yeah, it's got to be, it's one of those things where, you know, you got to. I did read an article recently stating that's kind of a, a new thing that a lot of companies are offering uh, as part of their benefit packages is, hey, we'll, we'll pay X amount towards your student loans. We'll help you pay off your student loans just because with the way the job market is right now, pretty competitive. Uh, that's one way uh, a lot of companies are going about it. So, I'm assuming uh, there's probably also tax advantages. Yeah, I, I, I would think so. But uh, it's definitely an interesting perspective. But you know, at the core, which I, I, it sounds like we both agree on, it, you got to get a degree that gives you the ability to p actually pay it back. And if you can well, compound that it all, with the- Doesn't it all go back to just personal responsibility? Well, yeah, but haven't you heard that's kind of like a cuss word in this day and age? I well, mean, sure, but I'm saying it's, it's more encompassing than just, than just the college. Like you're- uh, your fireside rant the other Friday about the what makes your blood bowl or whatever it was. Uh, Did you listen to that one about what it, this disgusts me? That one? Um, yeah, I listened to, you know, I listened to enough of it to to capture the points. Like, you didn't listen to that to actually, whole thing? I roasted that article. Oh my! Oh no! I mean, I'm, I'm trying to scroll back and see. Uh, Basically, okay, the so, premise was that lady was saying, "Don't blame yourself; blame the system." No, 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 no! I got, I got, I listened to the. I'm trying to pull it up. I listened to four minutes and 36 seconds of it. Oh, you which, didn't even get to the good stuff. You would have appreciated that when I yanked out all kinds of facts. Well, yeah, but I, I, it was, a like you said, a very uh, blame the system kind of article. It's not your fault. It's the system's fault. Right, well, Who made right. the system? And you're saying it's, it, it's your fault because it's personal responsibility, right? Sure. And I mean, you can also look at it, you know, at some point you, you're responsible for your own decisions, but also it goes back to parenting, you know, like... Uh, Carly at 19 months old picks up her toys in the living room um, or in her room, which is the living room. Uh, you know, it's on her to pick up her mess. When we change her diaper, she takes it to the trash can. You know, it's she has to pull her weight. No, I, I fully agree. Parenting plays a role. But I will also say that even let, let's take somebody that doesn't have parent doesn't have the best parents or just a bad situation. That doesn't have anything to do. That doesn't, you know, harm people, your ability to do math. And it's not like the well, math no, we're it, talking about. It does, your parenting affects your perspective. And so, you know, maybe you shouldn't have kids if you can't take the responsibility of having kids. I agree. I agree. And, but, and raising them so that, no, I mean, I, I agree that it's, it should be simple math. But, you know, if you grew up in a situation where handouts were common, then your perspective is handouts are common. So don't you look for your handouts? No, I fully agree. It's a it's a matter of your experiences and you know how things are are brought up. I guess that's the whole kind of point of this whole show and the whole money with clay 
is to educate people where I don't, I know you might've been brought up one way, but the reality of the matter is the fact of the matter, or maybe I should say the math of the matter is if you spend more than you make, you're gonna be, life's gonna be rough. And that's the basic math of it, no matter what your perspective well, and also, was. And it's also pretty consistent math. You don't have to have a new spreadsheet every day. You know, you just if you spend more than you make, it's always gonna suck. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. It's if you spend more than you make, it's always going to suck. It may be, you know, that that week where you you put a, a vacation to Hawaii on your credit card. Yeah, maybe that week is good, but after that, it's going to suck because well, now you have to you have to pay for that, and that's just yeah, that's an interesting point. So uh, back, uh, so that was two thousand five. We put the two companies together. Yeah, May of two thousand five was my end of my freshman year. We did it. We put the companies together in May, end of my freshman year. Um, my father actually ended up getting hurt a month and a half later and had to retire from everything. Uh, but um, sometime, let's say that was, so I turned 21. Okay, 21 in 2007. Okay, there we go. So 2007. Um, for whatever reason, I went through a little. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it a teenage rebellion phase or just a dumb phase or just a you know, dumb kid phase. Whatever you Testosterone want to call it. phase, maybe? Uh, sure. I can see that being a, a contributing factor. Um, Wondering anyways. why you have hair under your armpits, stuff like that. Oh, no, no, no. That happened in like sixth grade. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, but anyways, I went on a spending spree with credit cards. You know, it was great. You know, uh Ended up spending an exorbitant amount of gun of money on hobbies. Um, uh, there was plenty of rationalizations. You know, I'd, I'd use them for the business expenses because I'm making points or whatever, whatever it was. But the problem was, is, you know, you have to pay it at the end of the month. But hey, if you don't pay it, you can always roll it forward. You know, you can always try again next month. Uh, credits easy as to long as you by. pay that minimum balance. Well, yeah, but. You know, even still, the minimum balance really sucks when you're paying some god-awful amount of interest. Oh, yeah. No, I, I can't believe the minimum. Even when I have my credit cards and you probably do the same thing, but you look and it's when it's time to be like, they would actually allow me only to pay that. I mean, I always pay them off in full, but to look at these minimum payments, it's like no wonder why people get thrown to the, the wood chipper, pun intended, when uh-huh. you know you have these... Uh, Minimum yeah, payments. Minimum that, payments are only like one uh, or two percent, depending on the program. Yeah, it's crazy. And then your interest might be in the upper twenties. Yeah, twenty percent. I mean, we'll be kind and just even call it fifteen percent, which is probably way too low. But yeah, it's. Uh, well, but it, it, let's call it twenty-four for sake of math. Twenty-four percent would be two percent per month. If you have a two percent minimum payment, you're making no headway. No, that is absolutely right. The only people making the headway are the the credit card companies themselves. So this is what you were basically doing back uh, back in the uh, uh, early 2000s? Remember, you were just making those minimum payments? Well, I remember basically I just spun out spending money on credit cards. I don't remember. I remember I got my first credit card. I had it delivered to my PO box at college um, so my parents wouldn't find out, uh, which was probably a good indication that it was a bad idea. Um, <laughs> I think I would agree. But... Uh, and I mean, it was something stupid. I think it was a Capital One card with a $500 limit. And like, ironically, that, that card, a couple of years ago, it was still open. And I called him and I was like, hey, do y'all want to raise the limit to something meaningful? Or do we want to just close the card? Because I don't really need this. Anyways, they decided they didn't want to raise the limit. 
I guess it was some student card or something. But anyways, I was like, okay, we'll just close it. You know, I have cards that have limits that are 60 times higher than that. I don't really, this card's not being used. But anyways, jump back in time. So I had all this just dumb, I, I called it dumb debt because it wasn't anything tangible. I couldn't put my finger on it and say, okay, hey, you know, this was a this is a low interest uh, offer that I used from the credit card and I used that money to buy this business asset using it as a line of credit to leverage my personal credit for some kind of benefit. No, it was just dumb stuff like, oh, look, there's $60,000 in guns sitting in the closet or, you know, I took a trip to Hawaii, although that to me wasn't a very dumb thing. It was a, a good experience. Expensive, but a you good experience. You put a trip on to Hawaii on a credit card? Uh, well, I'm, everything went on the credit cards and not everything got paid off all the time. Let me rephrase. Were you able to pay off the part on the credit card for your trip to Hawaii? Well, see, here's the real kicker, though, is that I could sure I could pay for the part to Hawaii. But then what about the previous month? So that right. was that so was in other words, you were, nothing. You weren't making any headway necessarily. Right. No, I was going in the wrong direction. Right. Um, but, you know, it was a learning experience. And uh, for a long time, it was a very, you know, heavy, heavy burden, heavy yoke to have to carry. That you know, here's all this debt. It's my debt. There's nothing I can do to really get rid of it. I don't want to ruin my credit uh, and file bankruptcy or something like that. I don't want to be in the paper because that would be terribly embarrassing. Um, you know, from that personal or that uh, what's the word? It starts with an R. Reputation that our last name carried. You know, I didn't want to. Failure wasn't an option. Um, so anyways, it took some time. I really felt like it was really going to, uh, slow down my, my personal growth and development and how I was going to expand my life and my finances and such. And it, it did. Um, luckily we had a couple of, uh, business opportunities that came along that helped me make stupendous headway and got most of that taken care of or got that all taken care of. Now the, uh, debt that I have is, not necessarily super intelligent, but at least it's not entirely dumb. It had some kind of business meaning behind it. Right, and it, it, you use the word, it was like a heavy yoke that you had to carry around. I would assume then it's probably something that you would tell maybe a younger listener, hey, don't do what I did because it was a, it, life got a little stressful for a little while, is that? Sure, I mean, I always made, I never, I never missed a payment because I didn't have the money. Um, I would also recommend for anyone that's listening to consider automatic payments um, because automatic payments mean you never pay a late fee unless you don't have the money in the account, and I recommend having the money in the account. Um, but yes, if you're going to go in debt, make sure that the juice is worth the squeeze, which is quoting some movie that you probably know that I can't pull up. Um, you know, Make sure that you're not uh, buying some momentary pleasure for a long-term uh, detriment. Yes, I would. I, I would agree. I would agree. Any money that you put on a credit card, be sure that you can pay off that exact amount at the end of the month, or else, as Carl broke down the math pretty nicely, it's you're going to be going backwards in a hurry. So just you know, treat it like a debit card, really. At the end of the day, um, so now there there are some things that I've done that I don't necessarily that I don't think were bad. For example, like I mentioned, low interest offers, where are like zero percent for. 12 or 15, 18 months, where you pay 2 or 3% transaction fee. Anyways, the, for a business, it's very hard to get a line of credit, an unsecured line of credit for whatever it is. Um, so sometimes 
you know, if you have a a momentary uh, if you have a momentary need that's a business opportunity that has a good RVR or a good uh, prospect of you know not only making that money back but making you more money, um, then sometimes you can use your personal credit to leverage yourself into a better position all around. Although I'm assuming most of your listeners are probably going to be uh, employed, not self-employed. I, I, you know, I really, there was one comment left on the iTunes that it sounded like it was a mom and she was like, hey, my kids listen to this. So it sounds like there's a gamut. So we could have a future entrepreneur here. Um, But if I'm understanding right, to which I would agree, I don't have a problem with debt. We'll just go back to education real quick. Education is a debt, but it's also an investment because it's an investment in something that can, uh, you know, to, to steal Carl's word, leverage you into a better position. Now, of course, you got to be smart with that debt, with that investment in the world of college. You know, if you're getting the wooden shoes in in the Netherlands PhD versus an engineering degree, well, there's a big difference there. But yeah, I I don't have a problem with debt as long as it's a smart debt towards something that uh, is going to catapult you to a a better spot, um, you know, in the future. And I think um, that's that's why I, I don't think anybody out there that I know of has a problem with a home loan. Why? Because over time, dirt appreciates in value. So if but ironically, putting... something I was thinking about that recently is that so the, the house you buy does appreciate in value. However, over a 15, 20, 30 year mortgage, you will pay a stupendous amount of interest. I haven't I don't really have this idea fully fleshed out. But basically, the, the concept is it is an appreciating asset, which is truly speaking a good buy. But uh, the interest you pay over the life of that loan can be uh, absolutely stupendous. No, that's absolutely true. But then after you do get it paid off, that is, you know, straight up equity that you're sitting on that still can potentially go up. So I I agree spreadsheet wise, maybe technically you never make a a profit on it, but let's just take the other extreme. If you buy a car, after you get that car paid off, that thing is still going to be going down in value over time. It's not even a hold study. So I guess guess my main thought on that was countering my... um, preconceived notion that, you know, just because I can afford to live in a four or $500,000 house doesn't mean that I should just because I can get the financing, I can make the payment. Um, you know, there is some benefit to actually being able to put a substantial amount of money down. So you're not have to pay PMI, et cetera. Um, because just because that $400,000 house might be worth $600,000 in 20 years, you might've spent $300,000 on the interest to get there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, uh, always things that need to be uh, worked out. But at, at, the, at the core, um, you know, obviously- Yeah, houses, how, appreciating assets are far better than depreciating there assets. There you go, exactly. And that, that's kind of my core point is, sure, spreadsheet wise, maybe the math doesn't actually put you in a, you know, what an accountant would call a profit, but- well, I was I was going from the perspective still on the, like the college thing, just because you can get mortgage money very, very easy, very freely, you know, don't necessarily leverage yourself to the max because you can. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if, um, and that, you know, that's the oldest trick in the book as far as car sales is they don't focus on the price, they focus on the payment. So to your point, absolutely. sure, you can just, sure, you may be able to make a house payment, but what are you actually paying for the house? Because that could, I mean, that's definitely going to be a, a big parameter that needs to be, you know, factored in. So yeah, I, I, I fully agree is um, there's a reason why. So, I mean, do this for now, listeners. I mean, the next time you see a car commercial, Think about it. They never show you the price of the car. It's always per month pricing. There's a reason 
for doing that because they understand the broad math, which Carl and I are talking about, but when you just focus on the per month payment, it's a very easy way to buy more than what you can actually afford or buy more than you know what you you know actually need. Uh, so that's, um, we're, we're certainly in full agreement on that one. So, all right, we went way off the rails. What was, oh, you operated the rails. tree business while you were in college or did you like, was that yes. just a summer thing or how did how did that dynamic work? You know, the, huh. the business, because you're a business owner and now you're in college. Where did- A lot of driving back and forth. Okay, the like on the weekends? Like 45 or? miles. Oh no, even during the day. Oh wow. Um, so, uh, not 100%. The details are somewhat fuzzy, but basically my senior gift or my gift my parents gave me as a senior in high school was they signed for a loan for me to buy a Jeep Wrangler. And it was the monthly payment was like $500 a month. They didn't buy me the Jeep. They bought, they did the loan. You know, um, it is what it is. But it was a two year, it was like, I think a 10 or $12,000 Jeep. It must've been 10,000. Payment was $500 a month. And it was a two-year loan because my parents' idea was that it was good to get it paid off quick so that you're not paying as much interest. Flip side is, is when you're a you know freshman in college, a $500 a month car payment is not exactly uh, good times. No, that's uh, that, that that's going to eat up a lot of cash flow. It really will, especially. I remember when I was in ROTC, there was a stretch where I couldn't work. I want to say for like nine weeks, and that made. Uh, Made the money stretch pretty thin. Which, now, did you did your parents give you a choice, or did you just have to accept the, those terms? Um, I was focused on getting a Jeep. Okay, so that you're you're talking in hindsight now. At the time, you probably didn't re- necessarily realize the impact. Well, no, because in because in high school, when I'm living at home, uh, work out I, I work in at home. I guess you would say in this county, uh, primarily in my little area there. You know, it wasn't hard to. Uh, walk into high school with a couple thousand dollars in my pocket. You know, it wasn't a, wasn't a big deal. You know, a $500 month payment's not a big deal. Oh yeah, I can do that. That's just, you know, a day's worth of work or whatever it was back then. Um, two days work, whatever. I don't know how long it took me to make that money back then, but $500 a month was relatively inconsequential. Like I do remember when we first bought the, I bought the Jeep that weekend, I called one of my friends that was bigger into car audio and was like, Hey, we're going to, Audio Advantage, which was the car stereo place, and I want you to pick out a system for the truck, and we're going to buy it. I don't know enough about it. I'll just bring a checkbook, and you know we'll get what we want. And so that's what we did. We spent another, I don't know, thousand dollars on the stereo for the Jeep. So you had a lot into this Jeep then? Uh, not really. I mean, it was a ten thousand dollar Jeep that was bought it in two thousand four. It was a ninety nine. And we must have paid roughly $10,000 for it for that $500 a month payment. Um, then I put $1,000 worth of subs and amp in it, man, because you got to have that beat. Yeah, you got to, you got to, if your head's not shaking, you're, you're, you're not doing it right. Now, exactly. did you manage, did you make it through those two years and get get it paid off? Um, I want to say I might have refinanced it. I never, I never met, didn't make the payment. And I want to say my parents might have given me a couple hundred, three hundred dollars a month in allowance to go to college. I mean, it wasn't like my parents set me up to fail and said, "Go figure it out." You know, my parents were never, right. never that way. Um, 
even though mom said we never had money or never, it never appeared in mom's, uh, from my perspective on mother that we ever had any money. You know, my, my parents made sure I never did without anything. Um, they had a saying that uh, to, mu- to who much is given, much is expected. And so that gave me everything. So, I've, you know, a lot was expected of me. Um, but I remember the Jeep was totaled, I think, in 2007. Um, so that would have been three years later. It might have been refinanced. I don't, I don't really remember. What do you say to the college kid that says, listen, I, 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 I can't work. I, I'm here to study and I need to study like all the time. I, I, I just can't work. What, what do you say to somebody like that? Um, I guess I'd ask a question is what is, what are they studying? Um, you know, I mean, there's people who are very good students that, um, I never was a good student, um, in terms of, you know, all through high school, I never had to study, never had to, never really had to work at it. I still graduated 31st out of 168 students with uh, graduated with honors like a 91 or two GPA. Um, but you know, it just, it came easy to me. Um, I never really had to do anything that I didn't want to do and have to school wise and have to learn how to, you know, really buckle down and learn this totally asinine information on this piece of paper that I can regurgitate on a test. Anyways, but there are people that are like that. And if those people are like that, you know, then it obviously, uh, if they're working on a medical degree or any of the, you know, very uh, education-based fields, um, then obviously focusing on their studies could be entirely more important than the momentary pleasure of having spending money. What happens if those people are also out partying on the weekends then? Well, then obviously they didn't tell the truth. (laughs) Okay, all right, there we go. So we're on the same page then. Uh, Because I would agree if there's an extent where literally I have no life because I need to study all the time, then okay, fine. So I would assume that means you have no social life either. Well, I got time for social life. Okay, so, but it sounds like in that situation, well then you should be working because if anybody, I mean, you're driving all over the place, you're running a business while you're in school. So I mean, and I'm not saying that's what people got her bachelor's in 20 years. I mean, in 20 months. You got your bachelor's in 20 months? No, 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 no. I'm still not a college graduate. I have a cousin. Oh, cousin. she got a scholarship to a private college up north Chicago area, I think. Anyways, she got her bachelor's in 20 months. She was homeschooled. She was always a good student. She made uh, well into the 30s on her ACT. Um, she got her bachelor's in 20 months, she says in two years, because it's somewhat less embarrassing for her. Um, she's got her master's. She could get her PhD. She was accepted into law school, but decided not to go. Anyways, there are people who are very good at being students. Her, her mother is a uh, MD. Um, her grandfather was an MD. Um, so anyway, she comes from a background that's, you know, her father's an engineer. Anyway, she comes from a background that's very education-based, and she was a very good student, and she still is a very good student, um, or could be, if she so desired. And so if she said, hey, I don't have time to do this or that, then she honestly meant she did not have time to do it, um, as opposed to, you know, I didn't have time to study because I was too busy doing what I wanted to do. Right. Or and, didn't want to make the time to study. Yeah. And my my argument, not argument, but my thought is, I think that a, a part-time job, even if you don't, let's say you don't even need the money, but a part-time job is 
All right. I mean, let's do this. You, you've hired people before, right? Yep. Okay. So there's, and I've done this before, but two candidates, one candidate has, they were, we'll call it a, a good student, 4.0, and that's it, 4.0. There's no jobs, there's not any, I mean, it's just, that's what it is, 4.0. And then you have somebody else that's applying, and they got like a, I don't know, we'll call it a, a, a 2.8, but then they're, they've worked two part-time jobs. Then in the summers, they go and do an internship. And then during the school year, they you know they, they have all this other work. Which employee would you give an upper advantage to? Uh, I'd still say it depends on the, the field. If it's an engineer, um, a lot of times people who are very big sticklers for books make very good engineers because two of my best friends are uh, civil engineers. And you know, I've, I've made the joke or I have the statement with them that their job is to literally cover their butt or their customer's butt. That's all they do. Engineering is very little design and very much applying, civil side at least, is very much applying uh, guidelines that come out of books and you know making sure that you don't have disagreements between your contracts and such as that. Uh, if we're talking about a... Well, let's a field, take that example. So, But you don't think that though, you don't think an engineer that does that there's, there's no value in picking up how to actually work with people that maybe you don't like, how to communicate with people, which a sure, part-time sure, job there, would give you. You don't you don't weigh any value be, but, in that. But also, no, no, no there, there can be. Like I'm saying, that it also depends very highly on the job. Uh, from the civil perspective, you know, you have- But I mean, a civil engineer is still working with people, right? Uh, generally, they're working with the their customer, but their customer is gonna be- And a customer is a person? Well, a municipality. But a municipality is run by people? I mean, I, I get, I do get your point, but uh, yes, yes, it is ran by people. I guess However, I'm just, I'm, I'm, those people. I'm are not bureaucrats. saying you're wrong. I just, I think that I personally would be all over the person that is busting their tail. They're, you know, working. They're doing jobs. They're building life experiences. They're getting real life experiences as opposed sure. to the person that apparently sat in their dorm room all the time and just had their nose in a book. I'm but, not taking but, away from that, but I think there is a. I don't know. There, there, is me, a, there is a balance, but it does, in my opinion, it does depend on what you're doing. And also, usually, someone, uh, this our hypothetical engineering student that's making a 4.0, um, usually they will manage their uh, resume or their college experience so that they have extracurriculars just because to present themselves being more well-rounded. However, uh, but that, was, that wasn't my scenario. I didn't say that you had a well-rounded person. I said you had somebody with at the 4.0 and that was it. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. I fully agree. I was... In that case, when you change the premise to a well-rounded person, well, of course, 4.0 and well-rounded, well, yeah, But I was saying like they might do, uh, they might do extracurriculars in college that are academic-based, not real-world-based. Which I think is, you know, again, I, I, I would, I'd agree that because that implies that you're working with people. If you're part sure. of a club, you're working with people. So that's well, yeah, being that's, being a person who just sits in the dorm room and is a hermit. Uh, you need to plan your career based on that. If that's your, I mean, there's also there's nothing wrong with being that person, being an introvert. You just don't pick a job where you have to have a lot of FaceTime. No, I I would agree with that. So it does depend on the job in that sense, but. I guess what I was, what I'm mainly trying to get across, and I, I think you would agree at, is working, no matter what you're doing, is going to give you. Because at some point in an interview, somebody they're going to th- throw some sort of question at you, and the more life experience you have, the better prepared you are to answer those questions in a way that actually makes sense. Because well, you have real world experience, and whether that sure, experience, like is I said earlier, of, 
like I was saying earlier about, you know, I know a lot more book knowledge than I actually have experienced, which can sometimes get me in trouble or not really in trouble, but like I was taking 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I was taking a machining class, uh, like machining, like mills, lays, things like that. Okay. Yeah. And the, t- the teacher asked me to show the class how to do something because, you know, I was actually helping the teacher code something on one of the CNCs and that he was having a hard time with. Anyways, I knew how to do it. I'd never done it, but I knew how to do it. Anyways, he asked me to show him how to do something. And I was like, Hey, you know, uh, I understand the fundamentals of how to do it, but I've never actually done it. And he's like, Oh yeah, I forgot. You know, you don't actually have that experience. Um, so yeah, having real world experience to go along with book knowledge is a very powerful tool. Oh no, I, I agree. There's got to be a combination. I mean, I don't. If somebody's got 30 jobs that they're working and they've been part of, you know, uh, you know, all sorts of clubs, and then they have a, a 0.28 GPA, I'm going to say there's some sort of you know disconnect here. So find balancing act. But um, I guess the, the what the common denominator that I'm, I'm trying to just get out to listeners is vast majority of the time you can work at least a part-time job in college. Sure, there are you know extreme situations where maybe it's actually not possible, but I'd say for the vast majority, I don't wanna hear your excuses about why you can't pick up a job, because here we have Carl that was absolutely busting his hump in school, running a business. Were you still employing people at that time when you were in college? Did you have yep. workers I didn't for start buying I didn't start buying equipment until uh, February of 2007. So yeah, I had, we had to do everything by hand. So it was all manual labor. But I mean, so, did you have employees at that point? I didn't have full-time employees, but I did have part-time employees. Okay, so that proves my point. Is I don't want to hear your excuses, listeners, about, well, I can't really work. Here we have Carl, who was running a business with part-time employees while he was getting you know in, in school and studying. I mean, come on. I, I think you can squeeze in 15, 20 hours a week. Sure, you may not be able to go out to some sort of social event, you know, every now and then, but um, it, it it can be done. And uh, minus the extreme situations that, you know, everything has, but uh, all right. Now, I guess fast forward to where are you at right now? Is it still, it's, it's uh, Rutherford contracting right now? Correct. Okay, and does that mean that you actually do like remodels and building or is it still? No, we still stay on, or we are, whatever, still stay on the mechanical side of things. Um, so we don't do very much in the way of unskilled labor, uh, which I'm not saying a carpenter's unskilled. Uh, but for example, um, my climber makes, my climber is a subcontractor. I don't have any employees. I have, uh, people who contract to me on an as needed basis. Um, and like, you know, carpentry, I don't want to have a bunch of people because I've always wanted to be, uh, maneuverable in terms or flexible in terms of my family life. Um, like my daughter was born two months early and so that wasn't a big deal. I just took off. Can I actually, can we pause for just a second for that bids calling me? Yeah, nope, that's fine. So didn't get the bid. You didn't get the bid? Nope. And actually I was the high bid. You were the, did they say with the, how high you were? Uh, they said substantially, but I mean, it wasn't, they didn't say it's a bad thing. Um, they just said that I was the high, the the high bid by a high margin, which is perfectly fine with me. So Actually, I would take, not, I would assume then, based on your other comments, that you have plenty of work already. Um, I'm flexible enough that I don't have to have income from one source. 
Okay, and we have discussed that on previous podcasts. I know you have many revenue uh, streams, which is always wise, but um, I guess the moral of the story here is it's not like your whole business is going bankrupt or anything because you didn't, you didn't no. get the bid. This is a, a, was an attempt to branch into a new line of work and like they, they ended the conversation with and we're, we'll be getting back in touch with you to bid more projects. So it's not a, it's not an end all thing. Ironically, the guy, the, my closest competitor is the one that won. Although, um, I've heard interesting things about that situation. So anyways, it doesn't really matter to me. It didn't really matter what they bid it for. It mattered more to me what I could do the job for. Cause I can't do it any cheaper than that. Right. I mean, you got a, I mean, you're not a, a charity or for-profit business. So it, you know, sure. at, at some point the numbers just have to make sense for you. Yeah. And I mean, it's okay if it doesn't work for them. Uh, I mean, I was looking at, uh, let's see. Uh, $20,000 layout um, to do the job uh, on a $36,000 job. Some of that money's staying back and like I had to spend 5000 was going to be for additional insurance that was required. Uh, some money was for uh, traffic control equipment. And anyways, it's, it's like you said, it's just, it's got to make sense. Just so I understand that you bid for 36000 uh, yes, my bid was in the 36,000. And then your cost and, would have been 20,000? No, but kind of. No, but kind of. Around so that for, range? Well, no, no, I'm saying, like, so for example, that $5,000 in additional insurance premium would have, I built it entirely to this job, but it would be good for 12 months. Oh, I see. So that would, uh, you know, you, could, you could technically throw it all on here and then the rest of the year it's free in a sense. Sure. Or I could, uh, on this, I put it all on this job because if I wanted, I didn't want to, I don't want to front that on the idea of future work. Right. Um, because I haven't, this is my first time to do a bid with them. Right. Um, on the $3,000 of traffic equipment, all that would have been something that I kept. Um, so there's a, a good bit of that was going to be money that stayed in house. Good. That's, uh, those are some nice, uh, some nice margins that uh, you're potentially working with, and um, well, yeah. Now that also, though, that was not the, the money that I made was excluding my time, which I figured it was going to take me 140 hours, whatever. Um, so I was going to have, you know, basically three weeks of work, two long weeks, whatever, of my time involved, and I should have made on that bid. Uh, better than half profit or better than half uh, net on that job. Um, but such is life. How do you value your time? Do you assign, so you, you, like you said, you had an estimated 140 hours into it. So then are you saying, well, my time is worth X amount per hour and then you multiply it by 140 or is that kind of how you arrive at what on, you're On you're this bidding? bid, yes. Um, because this job was 40 miles away from the shop. Um, if this if this job would have been closer, I probably could have done the job for half. Um, but it is what it is. Um, but on this job, yes, it was basically just uh, time and materials is the way I bid it, meaning hourly rates times the number of hours. And the materials would have been like the traffic equipment, insurance, things like that. Um, usually, my bids are just done based on what the work uh, was worth because normally it's local residential work. And I know that 
this tree is generally speaking worth X number of dollars. And I've established my business to, or I've set up my business to be able to do the work for that amount. And so that works for me. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's just, there's just so much give and take because as you had said, had, you know, just literally from a geographic location, had your piece of dirt been closer to where the job's piece of dirt was, I mean, that would have totally changed the structure of everything. So it's really just, uh, I'm always fascinated by the uh, the construction, the kind of the, the service industry that you're in where you gotta put together bids because there's really so many variables that, that go into a bid. And then of course you throw on the factor of, you have other people throwing in bids and it's a pretty fascinating situation when you just kind of stop and think about all the various circumstances you know, that can go into influence the, the, the numbers, but it, you said that they're going to give you, you know, more, more potential bids. So clearly uh, it's not like you rubbed them the wrong way or anything. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still an opportunity. Um, also, I mean, it's entirely, like I mentioned before, I'll mention two things. One, I don't have any employees, uh, on staff. So it's not like I have this job needs, needs four people. You have to have two people running traffic control and then two people actually cutting the trees. So I would have needed three people working with me. Um, you know, if you have three people who are traditionally uh, tree people don't make, or tree workers don't make very much in the way of money um, per hour or however they're paid, or they're paid in cash or however that's worked out. Um, anyways, I don't have people on staff that I'm you know trying to keep busy. So I don't have the it would be an advantage to someone else that had four employees or themselves plus three employees because they would already have those people um, sitting there needing to do something. Right. And I, 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 I get the impression that you probably, you kind of like the way you have it structured. You don't want to have to deal with any employees or anything. You kind of just like to keep it on, uh, I'm assuming I like the more flexibility. like a, the flexibility. Right. Exactly. I mean, just like with you and uh, your setups, you know, you have, uh, Nate that I'm assuming is quasi full-time or full-time and you have yeah, Chez. He's, he's W2. Yep. And then Chez is 1099. The, um, and then you have the lady that takes care of your rental stuff or yep. your yep. owner she's, finance. Yep. She's 1099. Um, but anyways, you have it set up where, um, you know, Nate, who is also the closest person to you and seems to be a pretty good friend of yours. I is can't your stand him actually. He's a, he's yeah. a terrible human being. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. The, uh, anyways, you have it set up where, you know, if you wanted to take off, like I know your daughter was, or son, the youngest one was born uh, early as well. Yep. Girl, yep. was a girl. Um, so, you know, if you wanted to take off, then it's not a big deal. Granted, you probably, you know, wouldn't do that because you're working on some new course, working from five to whenever in the morning till whenever. But like when Carly was born, I was able to take off. Um, I didn't work the day she, well, after we found out she was coming early, you know, I didn't go back to work. I went on a couple trips, but beyond that, I didn't go back to work until my wife went back to work. There's power in flexibility. There is, I don't even know how you assign a numerical like dollar value to it. Would you agree that flexibility is one of those kind of intangible assets that's, you just, you, you can't assign a dollar value to well, sure, because it's, it's so, it's, it's so valuable. unless you've experienced it. Yeah, no, it's, um, because I, I, I totally relate to what you're saying and you're absolutely right. And, you know, if someone were to say, Clay, you can make $50 million a year and have very, very little flexibility, or you can make some substantially less amount of money, but you can have a whole lot of flexibility. I mean, I'm picking the lot of flexibility, you know, 
all day long because what's the point of making all that money if you have no flexibility at all? It's just, it's kind of a, uh, an oxymoron. I don't know if that's the right usage of the term, but it just doesn't really make any sense. Well, it's a paradoxical situation. There we go, yeah, like it's a paradox. You have money, the only point of money is to spend it, but if you don't have money to spend it, then what's the point of having money? Right, or if you don't have time to spend it, then what's the point? Well, yeah, if you even... can't spend it because of health or time or whatever. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I guess, I mean, maybe you're spending on a, on a shrink because you're so stressed out because you have zero flexibility and it's just a miserable existence. But uh, yeah, no, so, I, I... But there are being... also times where uh, sometimes you have to give up flexibility for uh, long-term gains. Yep. Like in the tree world, if we have a storm, you know, I might work... Uh, I might disappear for six months from the online or six weeks from the online world because we're working, you know, hundred hour weeks. But, you know, by the same token, opportunities like that can, uh, for example, get you out of a mountain of stupid credit card debt. <laughs> that, that that's a great point. Uh, short term pain for just much more longer term uh, gain or however you want to look at that. But yeah, absolutely. Sometimes. Uh, you know, it's not like Carl and I are sitting here saying we can do whatever we want, whatever we want, because that's just how flexible. I mean, there are, you got to put in time, but it's more of, you know, you can- You can pick and choose. Pick usually. and choose exactly when you put in that time. Uh, but yeah, sometimes, uh, yeah, for you, you know, you brought up the courses. If I'm putting together a course, then I am just flat out, I mean, I'm basically punching myself in the face because it, it, there's a lot that goes into it. But that's just, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, sure, it takes multiple months to put this stuff together. But once it's put together, then okay, now the flexibility is back in full, you know, effect. And when well, you also know, get to live on the legacy costs or the legacy income from those videos, right? And courses. Yeah, just straight up passive income. Which reminds me, have you done any real estate? Carl has a special place in my heart because he was <laughs> the first person to purchase the the real estate course that I offer through MoneyWithClay.com. So as far as I'm concerned, Carl could come on here and just make fun of me the whole time and call me names, and I would just say, Carl, I still love you, man. I still love you. So have you, uh, I mean, it sounds like you're pretty busy, but have you done anything with the real estate? So aside from when you asked me to check to make sure it worked, uh, I haven't cracked it back open. <laughs> well, well uh, thank you for checking that it works. And I'm assuming that's just because you have so much other stuff it's, going on. Well, it's a long-term plan. Uh, like right now I'm focusing on uh, transitioning my trading strategy. Um, for listeners, to, Carl is very, we met through my other business with his, with his, just the stock market and all that sort of stuff. So yes, Carl is involved and interested in, in quote unquote trades the markets, but um, go ahead. So you got your stock trading and. Well, yeah, so I'm trying to focus on that. The real estate income, or I'm sorry, real estate investing or anything of that nature would be a, not that uh, would be another step or another rung on the ladder or another whatever. Um, I have things in my life that uh, will transpire over the next uh, undetermined amount of time, but in the next couple of years, few years, that uh, I'm trying to prepare for in terms of um, if I can get my stock trading uh, where I want it to be, or at least a semblance of where I want it to be, then you know, that would offer me a lot of, I don't know if leverage is the right word, or a lot of opportunity. Um, I would have a lot of, I would have a lot of flexibility. I, I, would, I think yeah, I have a lot of flexibility in going out and buying a, a handful of properties to do this or that with. Um, and it's not to say that I couldn't do it now, but you know, as things, when things, as things progress, 
right now I have more money that I can trade with efficiently and there's plenty of options in the market that allow uh, options is actually a pun. It wasn't an unintended pun, yep. but there are things like options or futures that offer you stupendous leverage on your money. Um, like in the factor of over 200 to one uh, notational value or notional value to uh, money required. Anyways, I have more money than I can actually trade with right now based on the strategy that I'm focusing on um, or the avenue that I'm focusing on. And so I'm trying to get that uh, figured out so that as time progresses and I have more capital available that you know I can both I can utilize that money as opposed to uh, learning too many things at one time and uh, not really making headway or make, not making the headway that I want to make. If I can make the headway I want to make uh, with trading, which is almost entirely self-inflicted, um, then you know everything beyond that would be uh, optional, I guess you would say, including tree work would be optional, equipment sales would be optional, real estate would be optional, uh, my location would be optional because uh, you can stock trade from anywhere where you have at least intermittent uh, internet connection. So, you know, it's uh, going back to that whole flexibility and trying to make sure I do things or trying to do things in order or at least in the best order that I can think of. I think, I think you're spot on. You don't want to tear yourself in too many directions when it comes to learning. Uh, sure. But- I don't want to be worried about buying an investment property when I would rather keep that money available for uh, getting my trading back where it should be or where I think it should be or, not what the market owes me, but what I think I'm capable of or what I think the opportunity is. Um, and if I can get that taken care of, then, you know, that would be my, uh, that could very easily be my primary source of income and I could do everything else uh, at my discretion. No, absolutely. And I mean, to, to kind of, uh, you know, piggyback off, you know, yeah, you have money for an investment property, but to buy an investment proper property properly, you know, in a wise fashion. Well, that takes a lot of, you know, that takes a lot of studying, that takes a lot of homework, but to devote all that time to doing that, when like Carl said, he's working on some of his trading strategies, that's just, his time is being pulled in too many directions. I mean, I know he's a good dad, so he's got parenting in there, he's got his tree business in there. So you gotta just kind of pick and choose your battles and prioritize, and you know, clearly uh, you've been doing that and that's just good risk management from the kind of the, the umbrella fashion of, or the envelop, umbrella viewpoint of things, you know, prioritize and then, you know, tackle one at a time. Yeah, some advice I got from another self-made, he does trees, but he actually got into trees because he knocked up his girlfriend at that point, back when he was like 18 and he went to work for a line clearance company. And uh, last I knew he was worth $6 million and he's a couple years older than you. Um, anyways, he, some advice he gave me that I tend to forget is to uh, focus on whatever makes you the most amount of money at that at that point in time. You know, don't worry about this or that. When it comes to business, focus on what makes you the most amount of money then. Um, not saying to do that to the exclusion of future benefits or future opportunities, but you know, if you have the choice between I can go buy an investment property and go that route and start flipping houses when I've already got you know, a year and change worth of time invested into Clay Trader University and had a little reboot back in February um, of 2018. Anyways, the, you know, 
focus your time on what gets you the farthest and try not to get yourself distracted. I think that's great advice because time is the one thing that I don't care how rich you are, you're, you're not gonna go out and purchase some more of it. So you gotta be very, very, very wise with it. And that's, I think, the most squandered commodity out there, especially in this day and age of uh, social media and message boards and you know, just uh, the YouTube and people leaving all these comments and especially the ones where people are typing up massive paragraphs. It's like, did you really just take time out of your day to type up that huge paragraph where you are ripping somebody else apart? I mean, what are you doing with your time? That's that's such bad time management, but uh, yeah. So you are, uh, you got a plan in place Ish. and now you're just following the plan and you're, you're just knocking one thing out at a time. Yeah, hopefully the... Like I mentioned, uh, back in October of last year, I um, thought I was going to transition to trading full-time. And originally, I was going to do tree work. I was still going to do tree work on the side, but I was going to sell or lease out the crane that I bought last year. And that worked out to being a favorable situation. But then my other big truck got bought to go down to the hurricane because it was an opportunity cost that I was able to uh, capitalize on. Um Anyways, I thought I was going to trade full-time, but then uh, the February volatility spike uh, punched me in the teeth. And so back in May, I started doing tree work again. But in the span of between October and May, I was able to cut my overhead by $12,000 a month, give or take. Oh, wow. Roughly $100,000 a year. Um, so that's a big help. And you know, I still have a couple of other uh, items that I can knock out. But if I knock those out, you know, that'll knock it down another... Uh, 30, 40% from where it is now where, you know, it would be, it would be plausible that, you know, one good day of trading or a couple good days of tree work or whatever could pay, you know, for an entire month's worth of my time, which all goes back to the better flexibility. Um, you know, and I don't have uh, $20,000 a month in overhead because of all the equipment. Um, sure. I make less on each or I make, less per hour because my efficiency is less, but you know, it, it sure does open up. Uh, it does relieve some stress, I guess you would say. Yeah. It sounds like it's really opening up the cash flow situation where, uh, yeah, you yeah, don't have you know, as much cash necessarily coming in, but it sounds like there's a lot less cash going out. Sure. Um, yeah. Business which, isn't about handling money. It's about keeping it. Yeah, no, a absolutely. And that's, uh, um, I fully agree. I, I, I can't. I, I like to, you know, maybe th I like to play devil's advocate every now and then. But in this situation, I'd say I have to agree. Uh, looking at the time, we're almost at two hours, Carl. So um, we'll call this good. And you're willing to get back into the power hour. <laughs> That's I may be tempted, uh, but I haven't actually even seen anything really moving um, much. But uh, thank you all for hanging out. And I'd love to have you back again just to um, keep talking about whatever. And um, like I said, no. The only agenda was no agenda. Um, we and accomplished that entirely. We did. We did. We talked about all sorts of good stuff. So this was this was good. And uh, yeah, man. All I can say is keep it up. Uh, you're you got a great story. I, uh, you, uh, it's just work. That's that's what I'm going to take away from this. In fact, they may that might even be the title of this. Is it's just work because I love how nonchalantly you throw out the concept of what some people apparently don't like to do that much. But uh, yeah, well done in that regard. So uh, yeah, man, thanks for hanging can I offer, out. Can I offer one more little uh, Oh yes, please, please, please. So 
a saying that I've had for 12 or so years now is that if you do the same work as everyone else and you do the same work the same way as everyone else, you make the same money as everyone else. Uh, that all started with tree work. You know, if I do tree work the same way as everyone, then I'll make the same money that they do because I'm not doing anything different. I'm doing the same thing. And, you know, that's not really what I wanted. So I looked for ways to uh, become more efficient, um, to better utilize my time, make a better return because I like money. And that also goes in the same same lines with whether it's stock trading or selling equipment or whatever. If you do it the same way as everyone else, then you make the same money as everyone else. And if that's what you want, that's fine. But you might be better suited for working as an employee, not an employer, or for yourself. Um, so yeah, look for look for ways to do things differently that uh, have the potential to be better and more efficient. That's 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 great. I, that's the perfect way to end this. I mean, people might think that was scripted, but I yeah, absolutely. I mean, in economics, we would call that you got to find your competitive competitive advantage because if you don't have a competitive advantage, well then it is kind of it is what it is. So uh, yeah, sure. I mean, if you're a doctor, you know your competitive edge is you have that degree, and you know you go work for someone else and you make two to four hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, a lot of people wouldn't look down at that. Um, or I'd say many, most people wouldn't, but you know, yeah, if that's all you, if you're looking for, then that's, that's fine. Uh, if you want to do something different, you might want to go into research or whatever it is the doctors do that's different than other people. No, absolutely. It's, it's definitely a give and take, but at the end of the day, you know, you kind of got to find what your wheelhouse is. And if your wheelhouse, like you were saying is, if your wheelhouse is, well, I'm going to have my wheelhouse be the same as everybody else's. Uh, I'm not quite sure that's going to necessarily, depending on the circumstances, you know, work out yeah, the way, you know, people, inv- you know, might be envisioning things actually working out. Yep. But uh, no, that, we got to end it there because that was a great way to end. That's a, a, definitely a, a great perspective uh, and when you go about things. But um, you you own a mic, so I mean, huh. we can, we, we can do these impromptus whenever we want. So, you know, definitely, have to have you back and uh, we'll we'll shoot the breeze some more. So um, yeah, Carl, thank you uh, very much for hanging out. All right, thank you, Clay. All right, take care. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening. Before I go, I wanna just make your attention to a few things. First off, if you enjoyed the show, then make sure to help us out in the iTunes, especially if you could leave us a rating, that goes a long way and just assists me in getting the word out there. And I I genuinely would appreciate it. Second, if you find yourself either in debt or just feeling like your, your personal finances are kind of out of control or could be much more efficient, then I would encourage you to go to moneywithclay.com and check out the Slab Money Method. That is the course that I put together as a former process engineer that outlined every single step, step by step by step with documentation, with forms to fill out, that'll put you on the path, the exact path I used to pay off of debt and get myself to the point where not only am I debt free, but I am now able to build wealth and build wealth in an efficient uh, manner. So if you're curious and interested in that, again, moneywithclay.com and that is the slab money method. And no, this is not all some massive sales pitch when I say that it works, it truly does. And I back that up with more than words. My action behind those words is that course comes with a one year money back guarantee. So if you try it out and you're not making any progress, you're not seeing any progress, 
then I will refund you the cost of the course, which is very minimal to begin with. And then finally, make sure to check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, just look up for Money With Clay and you will see us there. Again, thanks for hanging out. I'll see you back next episode.